in the heart of a champion there is a fire and the flames are controlled by burning desire to be the best you can be so everyone will Napoleon said we need to get a on-air red light in our studio at this undisclosed location so that we know when we're on the air. I guess my finger pointing isn't good enough to designate that, hey, we're on, fellas. You know, Napoleon is the kind of guy that likes to, he wants to step it up a notch. He does. He has uh, bright visions of grandeur. Bless his heart. Bright. Well, welcome back to the Code of Man podcast, and we're glad to have you for another Edition or ep- this is Overtrek, Mike Barnett, in our lush studio here on this beautiful afternoon. Yes, and at a much better time than our last recording. Yes, except that it's like nap time. Well, that's true. We oh, have. Yeah, and I'm Corey Easy Target Cantrell. We have with us today Larry Key, missionary Larry Key. Larry, good to have you with us today. We're glad to be at the undisclosed location today. Yeah. Appreciate getting to be a part of this. Yeah, every time we bring a new guest in, we always blindfold them and, uh, so they can't tell where they were. Spin them around asked. three times. That's right. Yeah. Say that. <laughs> right. I wondered why the blindfold. <laughs> anyway, well, the reason we have Larry Key with us today is because Larry is a missionary with the Rock of Ages Ministries. Now, if you listen to the Code of Man podcast, that is not a new uh, name for you because we have had a couple of other guys with us before that are part of the Rock of Ages Ministries. Not long ago, we had Mike Van Horn and Charlie Russell here. You know Mike and Charlie. Sure. Larry is with us because, and one of the reasons we wanted to bring him in was because he wrote a book entitled The Proverbs 12 Man, and and we're going to spend some time uh, discussing this book today. And the reason we wanted to do that is because it, like our Code of Man ministry, is is designed, it was written, you put this together to be a help to really all men, but especially young men, to learn what it is to grow up into godliness and to be godly men, mature in that. So we're going to walk through that book a little bit, but first of all, uh, Larry, we just want to give you a, a moment, if you would, introduce yourself a little bit, tell us what you do. And All right, we're glad to be here today. As he said, my name is Larry Key, a missionary Rock of Ages prison ministry, and work with a juvenile revival team, Rock of Ages, for 16 years with the with the juvenile, most of most of the time we've been with the juvenile part of the ministry, and we're reaching out to young people locked up behind bars. And that's kind of how the book come to be as well. Uh, a lot of the young people that we reach behind bars have never uh, had a, a man in their life to show them what it's like to be a man. Uh, me and my wife, we've just been married 30 years and never had any children of our own. Uh, but God give us five million children in America that are in trouble, so we look at that as being our children, the ones that we're trying to reach. Uh, into prisons or on the streets or wherever. Uh, but that's what we do with Rock of Ages, work with the juvenile revival team, preach to the kids. It's so your ministry is really involved with um, a lot of young people, but a lot of young men typically are maybe on average age. What, what's the average age you're working with most of the time? Most of them is the middle teenage years to older teenage. We've wow. seen them as young as eight-year-old, mm-hmm. uh, but about 80-some percent of them don't have a dad, don't have a dad in a home. 
uh, we can they can use that for an excuse sometimes to do wrong too. But honestly, uh, that's a big part of it. Not having that example in their life, you know, how are you going to be the man that God would have you to be if you've never seen one? Right. Get the wrong example. Well, I was thinking about that myself. You don't have children, and so many of these youth that you minister to have never had a real father in their life. And so you've kind of stepped into that gap to try to fill that with God's help as best as you can to to be that example. And I know you can't be with all those all the time, but that's probably one of the reasons this book's been put together. So the material can be there if we can get it into the hands of the people who need it. And by the way, it's not just the, the young men inside prisons that need this book. It's the young men inside our churches, inside our homes that need it. Sure, that's right. That's why if we can reach them before they get to the prison, what happens a lot of time with the book, giving them out in the church, all we're doing is reinforcing what that pastor, what that youth pastor, that youth leader, what somebody else are already teaching, uh, the principles that mom and dad, when they do have a mom and dad in the home, the principles that mom and dad are teaching, the book just comes in behind them like the double verlies in the Bible, the math of two witnesses. Just try to reinforce that thought and have it where they can see it, have it in front of them too. I noticed in the foreword of the book, it was written by a mutual friend, Rick Hildebrand, and he made a statement in what he wrote there. He said, seeing the lack of not having someone give them basic principles for life, talking about the young men in the prisons, gave Brother Key a desire to help them start down a different road for life. And I think that probably does capture in a, in a statement what the book is about and where your heart is in writing this book. Seeing, and, and again, we see this with young men even in church because it's not always that the father's physically not there. Sometimes they don't have a, a father that is engaged with them, and, and a lot of them are bitter towards men or that father role in their life because of it. I wanted to ask you a question before we move on. We're going to go through each of the chapters, just briefly introduce them. I'm not going to read the book or tell the whole book, but just going to talk what the book has in it. But the poem in the book, From a Boy to a Man, is that you? Did you write that? I did. Oh, all right. That's the God gave me. Wonderful. Well, you'll have to get the book to see the poem. By the way, here that uh, this book is not something that you're out peddling and marketing and making money off of. In fact, we'll talk about at the end how someone can get the book, but they get it through Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages is the one, are the ones that print the book, and uh, it's not a money-making thing. It's, it's a truth thing. It's getting the truth into the hands of people who need it. So, the title of the book is The Proverbs 12 Man. So what is a Proverbs 12 man? A Proverbs 12 man is one that God would consider a man, not just what the world would look at it. It's taking the world's philosophy of what a man is or how a man acts or the way he treats his family. Original thought and all that, it comes from a message that I preached on God's requirements for being a man, what it takes for God to consider you a man instead of what it takes for the world. And we're going to go through these different sections. But I was thinking, this Proverbs 12, man, you've got five virtues that are listed in here. And we'll talk about each one of those. But the code of man, our ministry, we have our seven uh, virtues that we use. And they align very well. And so it's very interesting to me to see that. And I see a connection here that the message you're receiving and giving is the same one that we're receiving and giving because it all comes from the same source. And, and that's what this world needs. So we, we live in kind of a mixed-up, crazy world. So let's walk through these uh, principles, through these chapters of the book. Now, the first couple of chapters, I guess, sort of setting the stage for what's to come, but you have a, a chapter on a call to godliness and maturity to open things up. And then chapter 2, you talk about no wicked thing, and that's where you begin to talk about David a little bit. There's a part, I wanted to read this, this part here. He says, 
Earning the approval of another immature person or wicked individual is deceptive. They want to lower God's standard for manhood so it would be easier for them to cross the mark. This is like receiving a participation trophy for becoming an adult. And right here is where you get into that part. You talk about David and Goliath and, and kind of share that, that mindset behind what you were teaching there. I thought about this too. When we hear the story of David and Goliath, it's always through the eyes of David. Mm-hmm. But you know, Goliath was a champion, and you know, and the devil had to be telling Goliath, "You the man, Goliath. You the man. You the man. You know, you can't be beat. You can't be defeated. You won all these victories and stuff." When in essence, God took a boy and made a man out of him to defeat him. And uh, what the world would look at, if you looked at the, the David and Goliath, and you said, "Which one was the man?" It'd always be Goliath right. in the world's eyes. But in God's eyes, it's, it's somebody that would surrender their life to God and let God use him as David as David had allowed God to use him. That's how David knew he could whoop the, the giant because of the, the lion and the bear, the other battles that he had in his life. And that's part of being a man, too. Sometimes we go through struggles. Sometimes we go through battles. But that shows us in the end that we can have the victory. And you take that from verse 3 of the chapter where it says, A man shall not be established by wickedness. Right. The introduction to that of just... The belief that if I can get the approval of some other wicked man, some other immature, if some other immature guy says, man, you're great, you're doing great, that that gives me a sense of having arrived or matured. But that's empty. There's vanity in that. Uh, and I think that gets a lot of young men and really all people into trouble because we're looking for worldly approval. And if you think about it, we look for it, whether it's, whether it's the gang member that wants to be accepted by the other members of the gang, whether it's at the office even among the brethren, and we look for the approval of the brethren who may not be Im- or may not be mature in their walk with God, but they're slapping us on the back and high-fiving us, thumbs up in us, and we feel like, oh, we're doing good. But it's it's by God's measure. If you look at it on the principle in the in the church level, sometimes you have those kids even in Sunday school and the you know the class clown, and the reason they're the mm-hmm. class clown, they look for approval of everybody else, and they can act up or whatever too. But you know, just winning that approval, you know. Of the class clown that don't get you very far in life. Now, we don't have time to go through all the stuff that I marked, but even on page 21, I just, a godly man, and then all those words that you use to describe what a godly man does, commit, provide, protect, present, support, love, hold, uh, teach, correct, pray. I mean, those are, <laughs> that's just a good list of instruction right there that if a young man can get a hold of. And, you know, the other thing that I think come to my attention and I've tried to highlight with the talk about this book is that it is good for the young men and it is good for the older men. The young men are, can read this book and learn what it is God expects and, and how God defines a man. And the older men can read a book like this and see what it is that they need to be passing on and teaching the young men in. Sure. I think a lot of people, they overlook the opportunities that they have to reach out to these younger people. Even with the first chapter, that's kind of what it was designed uh, to let us see that we need to take them under our wing. There's part in there that talks about, uh, it was kind of a fictional letter about a, a boy writing to his grandpa. He taught him how to fish, taught him how to hunt, taught him how to make a fist and all these different things, but it taught him nothing about the Lord. Yeah. And a lot of times I think that's what it is. We, we overlook the opportunities that we have to try to reach some of these young people. I could sit back and say, well, God's never given me any children, so I don't have no responsibility to reach out to children when God has put them in our path and in our life that we can be a a blessing to them as well too. In a different type of situation where you and your wife do not have children, and somebody may say, well, what do you know about how to raise children? Well, maybe it's allowed you to be objective 
and to kind of come straight from Scripture to look into it. But I think also, and you relate this in the book, your father's influence in your life, you, sure. you know what was influential there, and that's affected how you've, you've done this. Sure, sure. And I was fortunate. had a mom and dad that stayed together. Uh, mom and dad took me to church. My, it was a time when my dad got out of church, but my mom kept, kept us in church too, and I thank God for that. But uh, then when he got back right with God and stuff, he had a lot of influence in my life. And because of that, I feel an obligation, a duty. Uh, I don't say that in the wrong sense of the word, but, mm-hmm. you know, who was me to have the privilege of having mom and dad stay together, took me to church, taught me things of God, and then let other kids die and go to hell uh, that didn't have that opportunity. I was blessed. We weren't rich, but we were richly blessed. Yeah. Generational integration is important, and I think that in the society we live in today, we have we have over-specialized everything, uh, including church, and I don't think we're better off for it um, in so much as we have often left the foundations of what life with God is supposed to be. And so I think bringing our, our older and younger together each brings something to the table, so to speak, that's needed. 1 John chapter 2 speaks of the little children, the young men, and the fathers. You know, God calls out all these different, and he speaks to each one about what they bring to the, to the table, uh, as we say. So the, the first principle that you highlight on its own is wisdom, the wise man. Proverbs 12, 8, a man shall be commended according to his wisdom, but he that is of a perverse heart shall be despised. One of the things I, I liked in this section of the book, you talk about how Solomon feared the Lord and he wanted to please him. But let me just take a moment to read it because I, I don't think I can do justice without just reading it. Solomon feared the Lord and wanted to please him in his duties so much that he yielded his own desires unto those of the Lord. He just wanted to do the job the Lord had for him to the best of his ability. He was not trying to seek personal gain, to take shortcuts, or even to find another position. Many will never gain the wisdom God has for them because they constantly jump from place to place, from position to position. They never seem to be satisfied with the place God has for them. A person is never more foolish than when he thinks he is wiser than God. Find the position God has for you and be content in it, even during the hard times or times of unpleasant circumstances. These positions in life could be, and I really like that point because we've talked about that recently around here, the importance of, of staying, of being still, you know, of literally not trying to run ahead of God or force God's hand on things. Now, i got to be honest with you. I don't know if I would have understood the point of that a few years ago. This idea of don't easily leave the place that you are in. But when you look at our society and the culture today, how quickly we've had this discussion. People bounce from job to job, woman to woman. There is no such thing as stability. There is no such thing as staying put. But this has been for years in church. The the Christian faith and Christian tradition is stay still. Be with God where you are and let God lead you. Don't just jump around all over the place. And I think that's something you capture in this book in in the aspect of wisdom. Letting God give us the wisdom of how to. You know, a lot of times people want to run in the midst of the battle. Well, there are going to be battles everywhere you go. And the thing is, it's listening to God, hearing what God's got to say, and following the wisdom. Uh, My dad taught me several times, he's talking about on the job, you know, people have a bad day and want to quit. He said, if you can't quit on a good day, don't quit on a bad day. Mm. Uh, That's good wisdom. There'll be bad days everywhere everywhere that you go. And the same thing in principle, you know, things come up. Sometimes things come up in church. People don't understand or something. They'll jump from church to church or position to position instead of dealing with the situation in the right way and letting God give them some wisdom about what to do with it. 
Then you talk about the merciful man. Proverbs 12:10. A righteous man regardeth the life of his beast, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. And you introduce that by saying that a merciful man is one who practices a life of forgiveness. And I really like that in that chapter, that's what you keyed in on was forgiveness, that that's how mercy is shown. Sure. So a lot of young people, that's a real battle with a lot of young people, uh, especially a lot of young boys growing up uh, that don't have the dad in their life. Or they, uh, I, I appreciate what you said, too. It's not the fact that the dad is not in the home. It's just the dad don't have the time to spend with the kids. But yeah. a lot of times the, the forgiveness comes up as an issue with the children. Uh, maybe the dad does split. And maybe the dad does take off and leave the, the kid there and by themselves with their mom or whatever. And that that builds up in their life. And that unforgiveness turns to bitterness. And that bitterness, it, don't, it may not affect the dad, but it'll destroy that child. And if they don't learn how to forgive, and I think, too, sometimes the reason we struggle with forgiveness or the reason young people do we put things with forgiveness that don't necessarily go with it. Uh, we've had people say, well, the Bible says forgive and forget. And I understand the principle of it. If you can forget, that would be good. But I, I preach to kids in the prison. I've had horrendous things done to them that they may never be able to forget. Mm -hmm. uh, same principle. If you cut my arm off, I'm always going to be a one-armed person. I'm never going to forget that I've got one arm. So I'll never be able to forgive you if that was the yeah. case. But I think if we can, we should. But Yeah, sometimes I think the, the depth of forgiveness and the sincerity of the forgiveness is even higher when it is things you can't really actually forget, you know? Right. Like if I can forget what you did to me, it probably wasn't that big of an offense anyway. Right. But to remember that this happened and it comes up from time to time in my mind, I may recall it, and yet I've chosen to forgive. That's great forgiveness. Right. The, the key thing here is what you said that, a righteous man extends mercy and forgiveness not based upon the worthiness of the person being forgiven, but upon his own experience of receiving forgiveness. When we know what God has forgiven us for. How can we withhold forgiveness to someone else? Easy Target over here is still bitter about him getting the name Easy Target. Hey, and I've said it multiple times on this podcast. I'm not bitter about that because if you would have ever heard some of the other options, I'm fine with Easy Target. <laughs> I was just scared to death I was going to get a name. <laughs> well, we're working on it. <laughs> well, and I, on that topic of forgiveness, and I don't want to steal from the direction that you're going on too, but I think one of the things that comes to my mind, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, is that when people get to where they're willing to forgive, it, it releases some of that victim mentality that that they hold on to. Well, you know, all this is, has negatively happened in my life, and it keeps them down, but... When they get to that point of forgiveness and experience that forgiveness of God and are willing to forgive others, now God can help repair some of them things because instead of them feeling like a victim, now they're more open to the to the grace and the the repairing of God. And uh, I think it's something that, that especially men we've got to we've got to build on and learn. Sure, that bitterness in our life. If I'm bitter toward you, it's like me drinking poison, hope it makes you sick. Yeah. It don't it don't affect you, but it affects me and it affects the way that. We live to keep us from being the man that God would have us to be. Sure. Well, then you have chapter five is about the honest man, and you use a phrase here that I think is so foreign to our day, and I don't know that a lot of the younger generation. And when I say the younger generation, I'm not even sure that many in my generation and down. But you talk about a man being a man of his word. I think that's something that is foreign. Like that's something that young people of today. You, they hear that and they think of something that went on back in the 30s, you know. Right. But we are still to be men of our word. But also, you said men not only of our word, but men of, in honesty, men of action. In other words, doing what we say we're going to do. Yeah. Sure. 
and that leads back to the unforgiveness and stuff. A lot of the kids have had people tell them, I'll always be there for you, and they're not. Or they'll promise them something that they don't follow through with that promise. And that led to the, the same situation of the unforgiveness and stuff in their life. But uh, if you tell a kid you're going to do something, <laughs> you better do it because they, they will remember it forever and uh, a lot of times. But mm-hmm. the thing is, we just need to be we need to be men of our word. If we tell somebody we'll do it, we need to do it. And, uh, you know, do it the right way. Look a man in the eye and tell him that. Yeah. There's so much. I, I, I'll get questioned by even some of my children, but other young people, I'll get questioned about, well, for example, this is one that comes up. Why is taking your hat off inside a sign of respect? Now, what is the answer to that question? I can't literally tell you exactly how and why the physical act of removing your hat indoors is a sign of respect. But there was a time it was a understood universal sign of respect. You took your hat off indoors. Doesn't really matter. I mean, what if the sign of respect was you put your hat on indoors? It doesn't matter. It's a universally understood sign of respect. And what's happening is we live in a day where a lot of these these character qualities that we had ways of demonstrating and communicating respect and honor and, and, and humility, as we're going to talk about, we've just thrown them away. Now it's every man do what it feels right in his own eyes, and, and it's not about caring for one another and being men of our word. It's about being men of getting all I can get. You know, it's about me. So... The Humble Man, Chapter 6. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. <laughs> I think that's one of the things that's missing in manhood today. You think to be a man, you got to be above everybody else and stuff. But humility is a very big part of it, too, as well. Uh, I think a, a, a godly man will be humble enough that when he makes a mistake, he'll call himself on it, too. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, let people realize. If you make young people think, well, you, when you grow up to be a man, if you're a godly man, you'll never make a mistake. You're always going to be perfect, and they'll never feel like they've achieved that. And you really hadn't yourself, but it sounds good, and it makes the kids, you know, ooh and all looking at you. But you you set a goal for them that they can't obtain in their own life. Yeah. And uh, I was reading this book, thinking, did you come up with all this? There's some really good. There's some. <laughs> there's some lines in here that. I mean, we ought to go on the Google quote search and find Larry Key. But I like this line in this chapter. The prudent man will clothe his knowledge with humility and only reveal it when it is needed. And, I mean, that's the bottom line statement of a, of a, a paragraph where you're talking about not using our words foolishly, speaking yeah. when we have a purpose. Right. It's not, not being the know-it-all type. You know, I've met people that felt like they know everything, and I mm-hmm. hope I never get to that place in their life as well. But... If I did know everything, I wouldn't tell everybody. Right. And <laughs> that's 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 the definition of prudence. It's knowing how to use what you have when right. it's needed. Right. And then you highlight Rehoboam as the don't be like this guy, you know, who when he had the opportunity as a king, he could listen to the senior advisors that had wisdom and experience, but he chose to dismiss them and follow the young guys. And you, you mark that as being a sign of both pride and rebellion in his heart. Right. And we see that so much inside the prisons as well. Uh, we go in, we teach the character classes in the prisons. Of course, we're witnessing, we're preaching and stuff. And they look at us because we're getting older now. And uh, they look at us like, well, you don't know what's going on. And you you never been there. But the thing is, uh, I'm, they most of them don't know what it's like to be 50. They've never been there. I don't know what it's like to be 50 either. <laughs> but I do still remember what it's like to be a teenager. Although things have changed over the years. Uh, there's a lot more out there and stuff, but I still, 
you know, it's just trying to get them not to look at me and what I can do, but find that, that, that godly man in their life that can pass that wisdom, whether it be a pastor, a youth pastor, or a grandpa. You know, thank God for godly grandpas and grandmas. I don't know what we would do without them. A lot of the young people we reach inside the prison, it's just it's fruit that grandma had planted some time mm-hmm. back and watered with her tears. But trying to get them, you know, they go inside the prison and they'll put them in a cell beside somebody, and that guy will say, well, I know how to rob a bank and not get caught. Well, I got a real problem if he's locked up with you and he knows how to do something not get caught because he got caught as well. There may be some of those wisdom issues going on there and honesty issues. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not a Proverbs 12 man at this point in his life. Now, this this fifth one is is big. Huge problem in our day um, because we live in a day when people are looking for the convenient and easy. But you wrote a chapter called The Diligent Man. Proverbs twelve twenty seven. The slothful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting. But the substance of a diligent man is precious. Now, you kind of explain in the book there how that, you know, in this day and age, we may not be able to relate to that, that back when you had to go out and hunt and gather food and bring it in to provide for your family. And that's the thing. I mean, we live in a day and a time where we have every convenience and everything is easy we complain about it as a culture, but really here in America, we, we are in a good land, a blessed land. We have grocery stores on every corner. And if I want something, I can just walk in the store and get it. And 90% of the stuff that you want to eat, 90 plus percent of it, you don't even have to cook it. Somebody will have it cooked and ready for you. You just go grab it. And, and what's happened is, is we've fell into the mold of, I think, being lazy, slothful. So you speak, you write here about the importance of being a diligent man. Tell us about that. <laughs> All right, you you ahead on me just a little bit on the, on the book there. Oh, did I get did I skip a chapter? No, 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 no. Oh. I was just trying to get back my thoughts oh. back into mind on, on. Never mind, folks. He's got the book memorized by heart on that particular chapter. But <laughs> it is taking the time to to do the things in life uh, that don't come easy. Uh, raising kids, I know you're very familiar with that more than I am in that. But there's there's some diligence that takes place in that, and the thing is not. Uh, referring back to the other chapters, not just jumping and run during the difficult times, but taking the time to work on work on the relationships, working on the relationship uh, between the husband and wife, or working on the relationship with those children, uh, not just running off during the difficult times, but diligent, not being slothful, not being lazy, get up and get a job, go to work, uh, pass these work habits and traits down to the children as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do a lot of stuff with the homeless, and uh, we see a lot of that. The homeless are out there because they want to be out there. They're out there because, you know, they don't want to fall in to do the work or they don't want to do that. But they're just a sinner doing what a sinner's going to do. And uh, but being diligent, taking the time to work on relationships, and taking the time to take somebody else's kid. You know, you say, well, my kids are raised and grown and they're doing good. Well, reach and get somebody else's. I think about the children of Israel as they was about to leave Egypt. They said, borrow some jewels. And in my mindset, I'm thinking about that. You know, I don't have the children of my own, but I'm borrowing jewels from the Egyptians. I'm reaching other people's mm-hmm. children, trying to reach other people's children to make a difference in their life. And uh, it takes some deals. It takes some work in it. Uh, but anything that's worth anything uh, comes with some work involved, too. So how, how would you gentlemen define the word diligent for the guy who's listening? And Like, I've heard that word, but what does that mean? Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is, persistent to see the task through you know to to see what needs to be done and just have a a resiliency to accomplish it no matter what 
attention to detail, I think, is part of that as well, yeah. too. Now, that's an old Army phrase. As a matter of fact, I was thinking about the whole issue of diligence, and it is it is attention to detail. It is steady, steadfast, you know, um, what's the word you used? The first word you said? Resilient. No, the first word you used. I don't know. I don't either. Rewind it. Tell me what you said. <laughs> Replay. <laughs> anyway, in in the Army, in my time in the Army, was the age of the new uniforms, the new boots. You know, the, the duty uniforms, the daily duty uniform was completely different. There is no polishing and there is no pressing. You know, back in the days of Gomer Pyle, you know, they, they would press their uniform and polish their boots. That was like a daily thing. And more than – and I, I'm kidding about Gomer, but, I mean, in reality, it would be more than once a day because, you know, you're going to get your boots dirty doing things. You're going to polish them and clean them again. And we're in an age even in the military where guys aren't having to press uniforms. They're wash and wear uniforms. You just throw them in the washer. You get them out of the dryer, put them on, go to work. What I would hear from senior NCOs that have been in the Army a while is we can tell a difference in the crop of soldier because they're not having to do those tedious daily attention to detail task, their overall performance is less than the soldiers of the bygone era. And that makes sense to me. And if you look at the, the young generation now, and probably for a couple of generations, it's the video game, the virtual world, it's the online generation. And I think there's legitimate concern for what kind of crop have we produced with all of that. I've even heard some of the young people talking about it recently. Like, we're going to see what this what this crop of children that has raised up over the last 20 years is going to turn out to be. So I, that brings a question in my mind for you fellas. That's my generation that, that, that you know, you're describing. Well, I wasn't going to point any fingers. Well, I've long claimed that, you know, I mean, where my generation is at, I'm not necessarily, you know, I don't always claim everything about uh, we millennials, but... A lot of times we hear the older generations talking about the areas that our generation is struggling, the ways that our generation is being let down. And it normally reverts back to, man, when I was your age, I was doing this, that, and the other. Or, you know, when, man, we didn't have all this. And it's, it's almost that negative condescending tone of you guys are worthless and you're not as awesome as we are. Is that, now, that's, that's kind of what our generation hears. So now that I am beginning to come into part of that older generation with the responsibility of reaching a younger generation that is in even worse shape than my generation is in, how do we go about, yes, I know living out these truths, but how do we go about teaching these things and making sure that we as the messenger are not throwing up roadblocks that is polluting the message? Maybe asking them the question, you know, what can we do to help your generation or Trying to see it through their eyes too, I think would be would be a key to that. Not just you know we walked ten miles both ways up yeah. to school in the snow and everything, but even though we really did that, yeah. <laughs> but addressing the real problems in life and what they're facing now, and uh, we've done the the vacation Bible school at my home church, and I had the privilege of teaching with the teens, and uh, I was talking to them about what 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 are you facing? What's some battles you're facing? You know, what's the hindrance? What's a big hindrance right now hindering you from doing the work that the Lord would have to? I think the key is communication. Sure. It's trying to hear what they have to say, listening to them, and then seeing what you can do to help the problems and just magnify the problem. I think uh, you, you've answered it, too, with the, the statement. You, really, your whole statement there, but it, it's be a part of the solution by offering the help or inviting the younger 
generations into what we are doing for the twofold purpose of not only them learning from us, but us gleaning from them. We need the energy of the youth, the zeal of the youth, matched up with the wisdom, the temperance of an older generation. And we're not complete without both of those. We've got to have both of them. Your book even is addressing that problem by saying, as I said earlier, I mean, it's inviting older men can look here and say, okay, this is what I have to offer. Younger men can say, okay, this is what I'm looking for. So let's bring those generations together. I think what happens sometimes, I think it's in the book too, older men say, well, you know, I've done that for years. You know, that's for the young men. Young men say that's for the middle aged. The middle aged is so busy uh, that they don't have time to do it. But now the work gets done. But I mean, if you're an older man, God's got a job that requires an older man. If you're a middle-aged guy, God's got a job that requires a middle-aged guy. If you're a young guy, God's got a job that requires that as well. And as us fitting those other categories, whatever category we may feel that we're in, fitting those categories in our life too, how we can work together. You uh, you wrap this book up with a final chapter called The Whole Duty of Man, and you, you pull that from Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen and I was thinking, boy, that ought to be a standard verse for the code of man references that we use because it says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. When we're talking about the code of man, well, that right there is a vital piece of the code. Understanding what the purpose of my life is. What am I here for? What am I supposed to do with my life? And whatever the individual details are that that God will lay out for us, the bottom line is, is we're to fear God, obey his word. You said in the latter part of this chapter, toward the close of the book, you said, I'm afraid in the day and hour in which we are in, the enemy has grown and matured in their stand and unbelief while Christians are still sipping on the milk or starving themselves completely. If I can use this term, I don't want to overuse the term, but I think it's uh, very prophetic. I think it's right on the mark. When you look at where the the church, especially, and we we were having this discussion prior to recording today, just the average American Western culture type church where we have maximized the message of independence, we have so convinced people that it's my my liberty, my rights, my freedoms, my life, my that we have lost the understanding of dependence upon God. And in all of that, we have become weak as Christians. We've become milk Christians instead of meat Christians. Part of the problem is not teaching the children. Teaching that We teach the children what they should do and how they should do it, but it's also we need to include in why, what is the purpose of yes. it, you know. We have been handed a package of what the Christian life looks like, what Christian parenting is, and it's all about convincing our children to do and act and behave and participate in certain things. And we've missed the foundational thing, which is the whole duty of man to fear God and keep his commandments. Really, to learn how to love God. You know, it keeps coming back to that. Exactly. Let me highlight at the end of this book, and you can tell us about this. The last pages, you've got a little section called Behold the Lamb of God. Tell us what that section is about. All right. Actually, that is the only part of the book that I did not write. That is okay. standard in the Rock of Ages, the series of books that we're doing there. Yeah. Well, it, I yeah, I didn't know, yeah. but I, I, I thought maybe there was a deeper no no it's actually could you make something up or <laughs> i could but go back to chapter number four yeah. so <laughs> not be a man of his word <laughs> but uh okay that's the only well i didn't know that. that what that was is we we knew that we were just testing your chapter number four right, whether right. or not Did you I were going to stick yep. yes. there you were you've been tested i wasn't an easy target that's, that's right <laughs>
Well, Larry, Key, we sure appreciate you coming by today and talking about the book, uh, Becoming a Proverbs 12 Man. That's what we're, we're discussing today. Folks can get this book, again, how? Through the Rock of Ages. The easiest way to get it would be go through the Rock of Ages website, roapm.org. But you can order it through there. We'll put this on our Code of Man uh uh, Facebook page sometime this upcoming week. I like the cover of this book, by the way. It's got uh, suited up in armor, holding the sword at the top, and then the bottom of it looks like somebody had their coffee cup sitting there. I like that. You know, I think that's because somebody had their coffee cup sitting there. Yours don't have that? No. Nope. Oh, well, there you go. That's now probably where that came from. I had my coffee cup sitting there one day. Well, I just want you to go back to the Rock of Ages publishing department and tell them that they'll put that little <laughs> ring right there. It, it's got the guy like, man, that studious look to it. Like, warrior, yeah, I I'll think it'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll sell 5,000 first. Uh, we don't know when or what the next episode will be on this here Code of Man podcast, but this has been a good one, and we sure are glad that you were with us today. So this is, uh, until next time, Mike Overtrek Barnett saying happy trails to you and this is Larry Key. I don't have a name. God be the glory. Thank you for letting us be here. Man needs a trail name. <laughs> and this is Corey Easy Target Cantrell saying good morning, good afternoon, he and... He needs a new sign-off. Good night. In the heart of a champion, there is a fire. And the flames are controlled by burning design. the best you can be so everyone will see he lives he lives in the heart of a chance